Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Up our series, uh, we've been looking at Disciple from the book of Mark. Um, Mark has been a bit loose because we've gone into the other Gospels as well, so... Now, I just want to take a moment to plug into some of the ideas that we've been going through, and hopefully that you've had the opportunity to solve over uh, yourself as we go through this series, which is basically on how do we take the principles of the New Testament when it comes to being a disciple and apply that to our context today. And one phrase that's come up repeatedly is, who would Jesus be if Jesus uh, was you? And... Uh, you know, just because Jesus wore sandals in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that you have to wear sandals. Uh, just if, you know, if Jesus was you, he may not necessarily wear sandals, unless you're the kind of person that does wear sandals. Um, in which case, we have very different taste in footwear. But that's okay, because sandals are a negotiable of the Christian faith. Um, and thank the Lord for that. Um, but no, we need to take these ideas that we find in the Bible and then think, you know, how are these relevant? How can we apply them to our context here? And if it was that literal, then I think Crocs would be a much bigger brand than it is today. Um, who would Jesus be if he was driving your car to work, if he was sitting in your seat, in your office, on your showroom floor, in your warehouse, uh, in your store, whatever your context is, who would Jesus be if he was in that position and how would that change the way that you live your life? Now that question is, you know, unfortunately it's not as straightforward to answer as we would like it because we live in a very different context and everybody's circumstances are different from one another. Uh, it's a very strange world that we live in where the leader of the West is uh, Donald Trump and where Christian music on Spotify is Justin Bieber and Kanye West. Um, but things are, what it looks like to be a disciple is, is kind of changing. What does it look like in the day and age that we find ourselves in. So what we're going to do today is basically just bite off hopefully a chewable chunk and at the end of the next hopefully 25 minutes we'll have some kind of uh, practical decision to make, something that we can apply to our week as we go, something that's going to honour God and something that's going to further our relationship with Him. But before we dive into the passage I just want to summarise uh, a few key aspects of what it means to be a disciple. Because people in Jesus' time knew exactly what a disciple was. It was pretty well understood that if you were a religious teacher or you were a philosopher or something, you would go around going from town to town, you'd kind of collect followers. You'd be spruiking your opinion, basically, but your you know, religious teaching or philosophical bent, and then people would say, oh, I'd like that, and they'd start following you. They'd leave their context and they would come and live more or less a nomadic lifestyle with you and be kind of a support. And so we've got a few ideas of what it means to be a disciple there. You would basically be an apprentice of that person. You would be a follower of them. You'd also be a student. You'd be learning from them. That's why they called uh, them rabbi or teacher. There was uh, an assumption that you were learning from them in that relationship. And also those people were publicly devoted. There were no kind of secret disciples, mostly because it just didn't make sense. I mean, how else do you explain that you're following this guy from town to town? You're not all on the same bus going through the Judean desert. So when you become a Christian, this is what basically it means to be a disciple. It means to simply be a Christian. That's, at the core of it, that's, that's exactly what Jesus is asking, and it's why he uses in Matthew 28, 
when we hear the Great Commission, it says, go and make disciples. That simply means you know, convert, right? People need to become Christians, so becoming a disciple is the same as becoming a, a Christian. What that means is that, hey, this disciple thing is relevant to all of us. If we know Jesus, it's relevant to all of us. So when you become a Christian, you become a disciple. Jesus becomes your master, your teacher, your friend, and your co-heir. But I think sometimes we confuse this idea of disciple with our understanding of the word discipleship. We think that somehow a Christian is someone who's become you know, a believer in Jesus Christ, and then like a disciple is you know, a really committed Christian, someone who's like gone to you know, level two Christianity. Uh, you're, you're one of the really keen ones. And so we think that... You know, to grow our faith, we need to be involved in a discipleship program or a discipling relationship or maybe even you know, be discipling other people. And those things are all good and they're biblical and they're, they're wonderful to help you grow as a Christian, but we create an issue if we uh, create a disconnect between what it means to become a Christian and what it means to be a disciple, right? Because they're one and the same thing. You can't become a Christian and not also be walking with Jesus in discipleship at the same time. And you know, the word discipleship doesn't actually appear in the Bible. There's no word that's translated as that. It's, it's one that we've given to a concept that is in the Bible. But the other thing that uh, those people didn't actually believe that it was necessary to put a word to it because everyone just understood, hey, if you're a disciple, you're doing these things. You're doing discipleship. That's why it doesn't appear there. Um, the other thing, the other issue that we can create is if we also create a disconnect between the gospel message that's brought us to salvation. That is, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, I would remind you, therefore, of the gospel that I preached to you, by which you are saved, in which you stand, or something like that. I'm getting the verse wrong. But it's like a, it's, it's happening now, it happened in the past, and it's also going to happen in the future. Because the gospel is actually our foundation from the beginning through to the very end. So we create a problem if we think that we can leave the gospel message at the door and not continue to have it as our foundation and our focus through our process of growing uh, with Jesus Christ. The firmer you hold on to the gospel, the closer you you will remain to Christ. So that's just to say that if you're a Christian, you're a disciple, and discipleship doesn't constitute some extra level two of Christian faith, and it certainly doesn't mean leaving the gospel at the door that you entered through. Discipleship is your normal Christian life, walking with Jesus, growing with him, in community with other members of the body of Christ, being led by the Holy Spirit. All right, I want you to remember a phrase from today, and that is that a dependent disciple is a deeper disciple. Now, I spend my day job teaching junior high schoolers uh, what figurative devices are, so I hope you can appreciate the alliteration. It's uh, not you know, some attempt to be fancy. It's actually a memory tool, which is why we learn it. So I appreciate when you know, Pat and Caleb and uh, everyone else puts alliteration, because it just helps me to remember it. It's good. So remember, remember this phrase. A dependent disciple is a deeper disciple. Let's launch in. Our passage is in Mark chapter 10. We're going from verse 17. If you have a Bible, um, feel free to flick to that. That's also a good memory tool, all right? Engaging with uh, material in multiple ways. 
visual, auditory, that kind of thing, and tactile as well when you hold a Bible, it's good. I say this hypocritically as I have an iPad. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. It's, kind of a, it's not all of them, but it's kind of a summary of the, of, the first, of the Ten Commandments. He goes on, Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. It's an impressive claim. Uh, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now what this young man is demonstrating to us is the default position of religion. And we're, uh, we, we run the risk of falling into this default as well if we're uh, exposed to a religious environment for too long without you know, that motivating drive of the Holy Spirit, and that is legalism. The default, and it's kind of like neutral gear, right? When you, when you don't worry about things too much, you end up just in neutral, which is legalism. You have a list of do's and don'ts, and you think, you know, as long as I can stay in between those lanes, then I'll be sweet. And this young man, like many of us, he's desperate to get his life right, not just in the here and now, but also in eternity. He's probably raised with good intentions, got a really good understanding of uh, the Bible and and, uh, biblical things. And by the time he comes to speak to Jesus, he actually has you know, something that he thinks is valuable that he can bring to them. He says, you know, I've followed the rules my whole life. And you know, not only are people within the church affected by this default, but unfortunately that's the image that we give to the rest of the world as well. When they look in at the church, all they see is legalism. They see a list of do's and don'ts. And you know, it's kind of our job, it's our effort as a church to... Uh, demonstrate to them that, no, actually, it's about relationship. Religion is about relationship with God. It's not about a list of of do's and don'ts. And uh, so at first, Jesus kind of meets him at at his level, and he's not condescending, but Jesus eventually gets to the stage where he's, he's moved by love, and he says to him, you know what, you still lack something. Go and sell everything that you've got and give it to the poor. If we just take a step back from this and we have a look at this young man's life, it's actually quite incredible because he's wealthy, we know that. So he's well supported, he's educated, uh, and he's successful in the most important terms of his time and his context and generation, and that is in his religion. He's successful. And yet Jesus is still saying to him, you lack something. And we actually find ourselves in a very similar, if not, well, in some ways, identical position. Prosperity in our world, in our context, is rampant. I mean, we have more access to provision than we have ever had before. Did you know that if you have an income of 50,000 Australian dollars a year, that puts you 
in the top 1% of earners globally. Pretty amazing. All right, I, um, I spent uh, nine years at university, and I love the, the look on people's faces when I say that, because they go, you look 15. <laughs> um, I still get confused with the, with the students at school. If I wear the wrong jumper, the reception ladies tell me to get out of the staff room. Um, I'll hold on to that for as long as I can. But I spent a long time um, studying and working casually and living out of home, and sometimes I just felt dreadfully poor. But then all I had to do was to go to this website and, and punch in you know, what I earned, and most of it was Centrelink, to be honest. And I was still in the top 5% of earners globally. That's amazing, right? We live in a, in a society where you can get paid to earn a qualification that's going to lead to stable uh, and you know, decent income later in life, and you can still be better off than 95% of the world. That's just unbelievable. Uh, if you, let's take the average wage of an Australian full-time worker, which is apparently 85000 a year, that's the average. So, if, you know, if we were to look at the average full-time worker here, that would put you in the top 0.24% of people in the world. All right, interesting that the average person here, if, if you work full-time, you know, top 0.24%, we have such access to this prosperity, it's, it's amazing. If you combine that with the fact that everyone here goes to church, evidently, even if it is just the AGM today, no. <laughs> we are actually in the same position as this young man, aren't we? I wonder if you had the same interaction with Jesus, whether he would say to you, hey, you know what, there's something that you still lack. What does that even mean? All right, Because Jesus says the solution to your lack is actually to give what you have away. How does that work? It's like one of those riddles. The more you have, the less you have of it. What am I? All right, now the answer is dependence. Dependence on Christ. And we're going to explore this idea a little bit. You might be wondering... Jesus isn't asking all of us to give all of our money away and go and wander around in the desert. Don't worry about that. All right, Jesus isn't after your money. He's actually after something much more precious, which is your dependence. All right, I saw a few shoulders relax there. <laughs> Let me illustrate this with a story. The uh, famous humanitarian, Mother Teresa, was doing a tour around Australia, doing various things, and there was a young monk from a monastery who was assigned to be her gopher, to run errands for her, get her what she needed, and he was just absolutely wrapped with the opportunity. He was like, I'm going to learn so much, I can you know, talk to her, I'll be near her all the time, and you know, get some really great advice from her. Uh, but he ended up being disappointed because the further the trip went on, the more he found that while he was in close proximity to her, he didn't have the opportunity to ask those questions because there was always someone more important who demanded her attention or some other task that she needed to do. So he was getting a bit desperate and he came up with a plan. He heard that the next step on her itinerary was to go to Papua New Guinea. So he said, I'll buy a plane ticket and I'll sit next to her on the plane and then we can talk. And he found a moment to ask her, is that okay? Can I sit next to you on the plane to, to Papua New Guinea? And what she said to him was, can you afford to buy the ticket yourself? He said, well, yeah. And she said, 
give that money away to the poor. That will teach you more than anything that I could in a conversation. And it's that same idea that the act of you know, giving away and the act of generosity actually teaches us more than a whole life of learning or of or following the rules. And it's because it's a positive act of faith. Because all the time you're just staying within those lanes of, of legalism, just following the rules, you're in neutral. You're not really going anywhere. It's un- not until you actually step out and start doing something out of faith that you start growing as a disciple. And that's what Jesus is trying to say to this young man here, is that you depend on your wealth. You rely on the security that you have. You might have an impressive resume, but you're not dependent on me. And that's what I want. Money and wealth are only a problem if you let them capture your heart. And when they substitute themselves for your dependence on Christ. God's not interested in your money, but he is interested in you. And this is the wonderful thing that I hope we can take away from this morning. You can actually use what you have to deepen your relationship with Christ. Let me explain what I mean. All those times God tells us in the Bible to to be generous, to look after the widows and the afflicted, all of that kind of stuff, it's firstly good because it's an extension of God's character. It's a demonstration of who he is. Secondly, because it advances the kingdom of God. But the other aspect is that it actually changes the person who engages in that activity. And I think that that's a lot more of the purpose of God than we probably uh, think. And you, you know that, right? If you've ever done that, if you've ever you know, had the Holy Spirit tell you, I need you to be generous in this situation, or I need you to give something away, you feel it. Like You feel actually God is doing something in me. God is working. And, and there's a sense of satisfaction when you bring yourself in line with God's character because it changes you. And part of it is you learn to hold those things in, in a hand loosely. Because having them is not a problem. Having them is not a sin. Right? Imagine if you know, pretty much all of the population of Australia gave everything away and went walking around the desert. It wouldn't, it, counterproductive. But what would Jesus do in that situation? Well, he would hold that loosely, knowing that he can be generous with it, understanding that God meets his needs regardless. You know, God doesn't actually need us in that situation. All right, he could just produce provision out of thin air. He did it for the Israelites in the desert, food every day. He did it for the widow and her jar of oil. He could just do it like that. But he delights in using us because it builds our relationship with him as well. It creates that dependence on him where we go, you know, my security isn't in the things that I have. My security is in Christ alone. So this young man was in neutral gear, and neutral is legalism. It's carefulness. Let me not put a foot wrong. Stay in my lanes, and then I'll be fine. But Jesus wants you to step out. He wants you to put a foot forward and say, no, I'm going to act out of faith, and then I'm going to see how that deepens my relationship with God. Do something that intentionally casts your dependence on God. Because you know what, church? One act of positive faith does more for your walk with God than an entire life of following the rules. All right, One act of faith, positively, a decision to say, I'm going to rely on Christ and let him be who he is, does more for your walk with him than an entire life of following the rules. 
The reason that legalism drags you into a transactional the reason is that legalism drags you into a transactional relationship with God, but faith actually brings you back to the promises of the gospel. You know, can I really give this money away? Like, God, does God know that I have needs too? You know, how can I have all these needs met if I give this away? And then you suddenly remember, oh, hang on a minute. The gospel message says that Christ has died and that he supplies all of my needs. How do I know, though, if I spend all this time, you know, investing in the kingdom or investing in someone else or even just, you know, being devoted to God for a moment in my day for a while, what, I won't be able to keep up with my, all my other commitments. I mean, doesn't God know how busy I am? Doesn't God know how many pressures there are on me? And then you remember, oh, no, hang on, you know what? The gospel message promises that if I bring my burdens to him, he will give me rest. And I... My challenge to you this morning is to start stepping out in faith and doing things that are going to intentionally leave you dependent on Christ and see what God does in bringing provision for those things. I could tell you stories of the way that God's done that for my wife and me, and it's, I mean, there is nothing like the riches of the kingdom of God, right? It doesn't compare worldly riches and the way that God provides. It just, you can't compare them. It's a different thing. Legalism is motivated by transactional benefit, whereas faith action is motivated by gratitude and love born from the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Would you kick your life into drive? Don't stay in neutral. Start being dependent on God. Stop thinking that just attending church and reading your Bible alone is going to grow your faith. You know, this principle doesn't only apply to finances. It's just the easiest one to, uh, to look at. But if we really examine our lives, there are lots of things that take our dependence away from Christ. Our sense of worth often comes from what we achieve or, or what we have or our qualifications. Whereas our sense of worth should be dependent on what Christ has said about us. And if you haven't noticed this in the Bible, what Christ says about you is way better than any achievement that you could, you could make. So why not? Why not have him define your sense of worth? You know, our emotional needs, sometimes we can be dependent on, a, on either you know, ourselves or a parent or a spouse or a friend or a counsellor or whoever it might be, and those things are wonderful gifts and part of how God operates to bring wholeness and healing. But when those things fail... If our dependence isn't truly actually rooted in Christ for our emotional needs, then we'll find that all of it crumbles along with it. But when our dependence on him emotionally is solid, then when those things disappear, we'll find that we're actually capable of enduring anything, which is how God wants it to be. It really is. The same principle applies to those areas. And if you can make a decision that somehow makes you more dependent in those situations on Christ, then see, see what God does, right? Because he has never failed on any of his promises, ever. And he won't for you. That's what faith is, right? It's trusting that fact that God's going to come through for you, no matter what. Okay, I think that point's clear enough. Just following the rules isn't going to grow your facets. What you have, increasing your dependence on God will grow your faith. And you can use your assets, what you have, uh, your talents, your time, your finances, whatever it is, 
to further your relationship with God by becoming more dependent on Him. But we need to just finish off uh, this morning by having a look at uh, the last section of the passage and um, the warning that Jesus gives about letting treasure capture your heart and also to try and appreciate some of the, the, the blessings that dependence on Him brings. So just after this young man, Jesus leaves, after he leaves, uh, Jesus takes the opportunity to talk to his disciples and teach them a lesson based on what's going on. So it's the next section. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter spoke up, see we've left everything and we've followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. That one snuck in there. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now there's a lot we could go into there, and obviously we have to apply it to our own context. I don't have any fields that I can leave to go and follow Jesus, but... Just to keep this morning's morsel more manageable, I just want to say two things from this section. Firstly, there is a real warning about letting treasure capture your heart. That if it has a hold of you, then you run the risk of not inheriting eternal life because someone who desires their own treasure over a relationship with God is not the kind of person who's actually given their life over to him fully and surrendered him the way that he wants Secondly, the kingdom of God is an unbeatable investment strategy. I wonder what would happen if you rang your investment broker and you said, hey, John, I think all investment brokers are probably named John. Um, I've, found a, I've found something that um, is, says I'm going to have 100 times return. What would he say? Laugh, maybe hang up the phone, who knows? Let me tell you, all right, the kingdom of God is not a prosperity gospel. Anything that actually tells you to keep your dependence on wealth and riches is a lie, and it's designed to take you away from Jesus. But I encourage you, if you start making these decisions, making a sacrifice for Jesus, for the gospel, see how God doesn't come through and bless you. All right, see what he does, because there is nothing that compares to the riches of heaven. Just as the, um, as the band comes up, my challenge to you is to find something practical that you can do this week, a decision that you can make, something that you know, maybe is a bit risky. Uh, sorry, I'm just thinking um, no one is really going like, to give everything away and go and fly over to Israel unless the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now to do that. No, okay. Do something that makes you more dependent on God, whether that's with your time, with your talents, with your finances, maybe even just a listening ear. Find somewhere that you can you know, make some kind of sacrifice to the Lord and say, I'm doing this not 
for transactional benefit. I'm doing this not because I want to follow the rules. I'm doing this because I love you and because you, your promises are good and because I want to be more dependent on you as a disciple. And God, trust me, he will build your faith if you do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray for fruit. I pray for multiplication. I pray for your presence to be with us as we consider in our lives what we might be able to uh, give away in order to increase our dependence on you. That's the kind of relationship that you're after, Lord, is one that doesn't focus on ourself and also one that doesn't ask for you know, transaction, for legalism. It's one that asks for faith and boldness and dependence. Let us pray you would stir in our hearts how we can decide to be deeper with you, that all of us would continue growing, none of us would stay in neutral, and that you would take us further and further into your presence.